Uh, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount over the last few months, probably since around about, I think, the end of April. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Um, we're at chapter 7, verse 1 now, and we're really on the final straight. We've probably got, five, I think it's five or six more sessions on this series. Um, and the thing is really reaching a climax now in a big way. Jesus has spoken through true conversion in Matthew 5. He's looked at our identity uh, in him as the salt of the earth and as the light of the world. He's come to look at, he, he's spoken about his role in relation to the Old Testament law. He's looked at anger, lust, divorce, the way we use our speech, retaliation, loving your enemies. We've gone through all of that. That's all online if you want to access that. Um, looked at... Um, the dangers of hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy, trying to look spiritual in giving, in praying, in fasting. And then last couple of weeks we've looked at the dangers of materialism, loving things that are temporary, um, and also being anxious about not having things that are temporary. And now chapter 7, it seems that um, people can't really decide whether there's a theme that runs through or whether it's more like a hodgepodge of different things. Nevertheless, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go down to verse 6 today, which is a clear section. Um, I'm going to read it. Here we go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give dogs what is holy. And don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. We just want to say that we want to be under it. We don't want to exercise judgment over it. We want to be judged by it. We want to be submitted to it. We need you, Lord. We need your lordship. We really do. We just confess that without your lordship, we become slaves to other things. We become slaves to other gods. As much as we might pronounce and proclaim our freedom, without you, we are slaves to sin. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom of being a slave to you. And I pray, help us through this, through this passage today to really get our heads around this very, very important thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, when I read this and I thought, oh, this is so amazing, going to be able to preach into this in our kind of culture, because it's everyone's favourite strapline, isn't it? Don't judge me! It's what people say now when they know they've been caught out, uh, they've, been, they've been caught doing something shameful, something, they've been exposed... The strap line is, don't judge me. And what that does is, it's like a last line of defence against anyone really nailing you for something. Because as soon as someone says it, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. How does this thing work? Anyone see more cop? More cops, uh, it's not a deep film. <laughs> it's a romantic comedy about an American security guard in a shopping mall who takes his job very seriously. And uh, it's kind of built around that theme. It's good fun, very light-hearted. But one of the subplots has to do with this uh, young man, a gangster kind of wannabe, young Asian man, gangster wannabe. He, his, his build, he makes me look like Adrian Hoskin. He's very, very skinny. And we see him walking around his bedroom 
with all of these photographs of his ex-girlfriend all around the wall, ex-girlfriend. He's turned his bedroom into a shrine for her. He's covered in bling, has no top on. Covered in bling, weighs about seven stone. Um, and he's on the phone to the mall cop, and it turns out there's this confession where he, he confesses that he's actually fitted GPS onto his ex-girlfriend's phone in order that he might be able to track her wherever she goes, all right? So he's turned, his, he's turned his, his bedroom into a shrine about her, and he's tracking her wherever she goes. As soon as he confesses this to the mall cop, he instantly bursts out, Don't judge me! And it's this great moment in this very light-hearted film where you think whoever wrote the script there brought in a lovely bit of satire because it's a comment on what we do in our society now after we've done the most hideous things. When everyone knows you've done something so worthy of, so worthy of judgment, yet actually that one line, don't judge me, everyone suddenly paralyzes. We can't do anything. And it seems at the first reading here that Jesus is saying exactly that. Don't judge. The problem is, is a few verses later, Jesus is saying, don't give dogs what is holy. So he's classifying a certain kind of person as a dog. So how are we supposed to make a judgment on that? I've just been told not to judge. Now I need to discern whether this person's a dog or a pig. This is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. I mean, where does it really leave me if I'm not allowed to judge? I mean, what kind of decisions can I make? Can I make a decision? Who babysits my kids? What if someone babysits my kids? Offers them, and I think, don't want you to. And I couldn't even tell you why. Am I allowed to say no, thank you? Or am I being judgmental? Or who gets to be alone with my wife? Am I being judgmental if I think, do you know what? <laughs> let's, just, let's just say no to that. Am I being sinful? Or who, who I give authority to in my life? Who I allow, who I allow to kind of have some place of authority to in my life? I do what, anyone? How does this thing work? From the other end as well, here's an interesting thing. If Jesus is right, and when I judge, I'll be judged, what does that mean? What is he actually saying there? Who will judge me? The person that I've judged? Are they the one that will then judge me? Or will it just be like a general thing? Something happens. If I'm judgmental, something happens in the air, like a karma thing. Something happens, and I find that wherever I go, I'm being judged. Or God. What's Jesus meaning here? We need to look at these things. Let's go to work. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, hopefully I've whetted your appetite, and hopefully I can help you with some of these answers. Verses 3 to 5 will really be helpful. Let's read verses 3 to 5 again. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? This is Jesus defining what he means by being judgmental. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus here is warning against what might be seen as like a blind eye surgeon. You know, someone who wants to, wants to do some surgery on your eyes and are, their own eyes are clearly obstructed. There's a spiritual version of that. That Jesus is tackling and saying, you do not want to become like this. This is not a good thing. Let me unpack it to show you what this person maybe is like. It's someone, and you have to ask the question, please, is this you? It's someone who's pretty blind to their own moral failings. Their sight is seriously obstructed. 
And when others have tried to help them, they've either evaded the issue or defended themselves or excused it. But the bottom line is this. They've never really faced up to themselves. They've never really come face to face with what they are like in their own particular moral failings. There's not a real strong awareness of it. They don't feel it. They don't feel it. That's the first thing. Secondly, they have a very, very keen eye for the moral failings of others. They they spot stuff in other people like that. And they may well admit themselves that they are imperfect. If, you know, they definitely would admit that, but their focus isn't there. Their focus is on how others need to change. Okay? Thirdly, they offer help without invitation. Let me help you with this problem. Doesn't really help. And you know what? It doesn't even intend to help, really. This person doesn't really even want to help. How do I know? Jesus says, you hypocrite. That means you pretender, you actor. They don't really want to help. Why? Well, because if they hated sin so much, don't you think they'd deal with it in their own life? But they don't want it. They just want to fix others. Why? Not because they want to fix them, but because there's a perverse delight in kind of getting into the muck of other people's lives, knowing what's going on, and pretending to have something to kind of offer. Lloyd-Jones says this, we are not concerned about righteousness and true judgment at all because if we were, we should deal with it in ourselves. If we were really concerned about truth, you would be judging yourself. Fourthly, the person claims some kind of knowledge. I can help you. But they're not to be trusted. Their own condition reveals they don't know how to do it. Imagine that. I mean, come on, this is a very funny picture. I've got a log in my eye. Let's just stop for a minute. Give Jesus his credit. This is funny. I've got a log in my eye, and I come over to you during coffee after the service, and I say, right, Dave, I say, yeah, I say, do you know what, man? You've got, <laughs> you got a little something in your eye there. The whole time, there's a beam. So you've got a little something, you've got a little something in there. Can I just, can I just, that's what, Jesus, <laughs> this is what, this is what can happen. This is what, he's talking to Christians, believers. This is what believers can get like. Honestly, just become blind to areas of serious moral failure, serious attitude problems in yourself, serious kind of ways of dealing with stuff, but at the same time, kind of get, getting involved. Getting, getting, I'm trying to fix things or looking like you're trying to fix things. It's a horrible, ugly thing. It's a judgmental spirit. There are certain signs and symptoms of a judgmental spirit. Let's unpack some more. I'll give you seven little ones. Number one, a readiness to judge in matters of no personal concern. Are you the kind of person, when something happens, you've got no personal concern with, sorry, you've got no personal interest, but you you begin to make assessments and opinions, and is that you? If it is you, be careful. That is a symptom that is potentially a warning. It's like one of the, you know, you need a few of these to really know that this is you. But if they got that one, be aware, it could be you. Number two, you, you make assessments not based on principles, but based on your prejudice. Now, here's what I mean. Someone may make a stand for a certain thing, but you don't understand it. You don't understand why they make an stand. You don't get the. You don't get and understand why they're doing it. Instead, the, because of what they're doing um, it awakens all your own prejudices and hits on the things you don't like. You begin to make assessments, but you've not. 
You've not given any thought or understanding. You've not stepped back and reflected, why is this person doing this? This can happen in the workplace. Anyone with authority in the workplace immediately gets shot down. Have you noticed that? You get promoted in the workplace, it's like going the firing line. Because you have to make decisions, you're trying to please those above, those below, you're trying to sort this, sort that, you've got limited resources, and sometimes you can make a stand on something, and what happens is, you, are, are you the person who, when your manager or those in authority over you, they do something or say something, rather than just gently saying, hey, you know what, I really want to get behind you, I'd just love to know the reasons, just to help me understand this. Instead, you jump to conclusions because of your own prejudices. This is a bad sign. This is a bad sign. Third thing. You get into personalities instead of principles. So again, someone makes a decision, someone does something, and you immediately begin to jump to them. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like that. Oh, they're power hungry. Oh, they're a job's worth. You immediately begin to categorise people in particular, they're that kind of person, rather than saying, what's, what's driving that, what's motivating that, and asking the question. This, this, when I was preparing this, just thinking, wow, there's some, there's some stuff in here. Number four, expressing opinions without a thorough knowledge of the facts. Is this you? You find a little bit of newspaper lying around of oh, someone's version of something, and then you hear a little rumour, and you're, you're fully, you're, 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 you've got all the ammunition you need. I will now be the authority on this. But actually, you don't know the facts. You've not looked into it. You've got to be careful. Oh, I'm say, especially young, young people, you need to be aware of this. It's more of a temptation. Because the older you get, the more you realise you don't know. And the more mistakes you've made, and so hopefully the humbler you become. So just beware of that, especially if you are young, and even if you're at a great university and everyone's telling you you're the business, you may well be, but you do need a bit of time to season, so just be aware of that. Fifthly, uh, there's, a there's a lack of charity in your heart. Actually, you're not looking to excuse people, you're looking to expose people. Yeah? When something goes wrong for someone, or it doesn't work out, there's something in you that, oh, you quite like that. You're not looking, you're, you're not hoping when you read the latest gossip or this about that person, you're not hoping it's not true. There's something in you that you want to see people kind of exposed. You're, there's not that charity in your heart. These are things to watch out for, sickly. Um, that you impute motives. You say, oh, I know why they did that. Well, no, you don't. You never know why someone did something. You can never make a judgment on someone's motives. You don't know their motives. All you can do is make assessments on actual behaviour things actually said or done. But if you're saying, well, I know why you did that, you are taking God's place. He's the searcher of the hearts, isn't he? He searches the hearts. So it's really important that you don't find yourself doing that. And seventhly and finally, you make a final judgment. You're like, you know what? They're like that. And you assign them, this particular human being made in the image of God, you assign them somewhere and that's the end, that's the end of it. It can never change. There's something final about it. And I'll also say this. If as a result of this list, you're thinking of someone else. Oh, yeah. They fit all seven. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> eh? I'm going to catch you now. If as a result of all this, you're thinking of someone else and not yourself, you probably have a judgmental spirit. Sorry. Because by their very nature, this person does not look at themselves. Their planks are allowed to remain unchecked. So... There's some sober stuff for us. But what does Jesus mean by you'll be judged? If you get into that, you'll be judged. What is he saying there? How, is, how does that work? How does it pan out? Well, it's more than saying that others will react judgmentally to you, although they will. They absolutely will. If you are like that, then you're going you're gonna to hit all kinds of stuff when it's not persecution. All right? 
<laughs> You've just been really annoying. And, um, and so people are just kind of like really riled by you. So, um, that, that, but Jesus is talking about a lot more than that. And it's not karma. Okay? It's not just what goes around comes around. Biblically, there are three kinds of judgment. And it's always between God and man. Okay? So I don't know if you know that. I'm going to unpack it to show you how it works. But biblically, the Bible teaches there are three kinds of judgment. Um, always between um, God and man. And, uh, now, in John 5, verse 24, Jesus says that whoever believes in him doesn't come into judgment, but they pass from death to life. There, he's talking about the first kind of judgment. How do I know? Well, because frequently throughout the Bible, the other two types are applied to believers. So he's talking about, now this is massive that you understand this. If you're here and you're a Christian, you've got to get this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you've got to get this. This is central now. This is the meat of the message. Okay? There are three kinds of judgment, one of which, when someone comes to know Jesus, they come out of. They will never face that particular kind of judgment. What is that judgment? Well, we'll find it in Revelation chapter 20. I'll call it the, the primary judgment, if you like. The judgment regarding your eternal destiny is what it says. Revelation 20, verse 11. The Apostle John writes, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. So we've got books opened. Then another book was opened. All right, so we've got books and another book, which is the book of life. And the dead, that's all the dead, were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. We'll look at that later. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they were done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, this book, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the first judgment. It's primary judgment. The judgment is, is your name in the book of life? Now, what is this book of life? Well, the Bible teaches that in eternity, in the heavenly places, there is a book in whose names written are the names of, the names of believers, names of those who have put their faith in Christ. Now, let's just explore this for a moment, because we've got to get ahead. I'm saying some big stuff. I recognise that, so we just, just explore it a bit. Is it a bit like God saying, oh, well done, you believed. We'll put you in the book of life. No, it's nothing like that. Because if it's God saying, oh, well done, you believed, then you get into heaven because of what you did. Yeah? That's not how this thing works. You must understand this, particularly if you are here in the room today and you're not a Christian and you're exploring Christianity. How does this thing work? How does my name get written in the book of life? Is this something I've got to do? I've got to believe and then my name will get written in there. Oh, so it's like, it's like something I do. I, I now believe and as a result, I qualify myself for salvation. That's not the dynamic. The dynamic is this. The dynamic is that naturally, none of us would be in that book. And naturally, we are all the same. We have different temperaments, different personalities, but in terms of our standing before God, we are all universally the same. The Bible describes us as those who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us, with all of our kind of efforts, even if that was an effort to believe, if you like, would get into the book of life. The, thing is, the book is empty as regards our own natural efforts. It's completely empty. So God sends Jesus to pay the debt 
for our sin by which we've fallen, God sends Jesus to pay that debt in his body on the cross so that judicially, if you like, legally, God can forgive us while remaining just. He still punishes sin, but in his son, but he does no longer have to punish us because Jesus took our place on the cross. Hallelujah. All right. So he died for us. He bore our sin in his body. When you see that, when you see Jesus at the cross and you recognise he's there dying for my sin, at that point, there's no way you can think that anything you do can get you into heaven. You must surely realise if you had to go through that because of my sin, it would be an absolute insult for me to think that I can do anything and get my name written into a book of life. That's not how it works. That is absolutely not how it works. How it works is this. You see Jesus. You see him crucified for you. You see God's incredible, the lengths he's gone to, to win you, to make provision for your sin so you can be forgiven and reconciled. And you say, thank you so much. And the whole time you recognise, even the fact my eyes have been open to this, is the mercy of God. I just... And you say, thank you, Lord. The Bible teaches even the faith we have is a gift from God. It's incredible. It's absolutely, it's, there will be no commendation of, oh, well done. You, no, it won't be that. We will be given crowns and rewards, but the Bible says we'll throw them at his feet. <laughs> we'll say, no, nah, all, all to you, oh God, unto you is the glory. See, that's how it works. So when you, come to, when you see Christ and you cling to him and you're joined with him through faith, you, enter, you come out of that judgment. You know that you will not be thrown into the lake of fire, i.e., hell. You know that, okay, because the Bible is clear on that. Then we have the other two judgments, which are very, very important to understand as believers. The second is seen in the same passage. I, so where we, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. These, what are these books? Well, it tells us what these books are. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So saved and uh, everyone... Saved and unsaved, everyone, is judged according to deeds, what they've done. Which is why I believe there will be grades of hell. Justify that? Jesus says things like this. Woe to you, Tyre and Sidon, two cities, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. As it is, it will be more tolerable on the, on the day of judgment from Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. How does that work? No idea. No idea. There's a judgment according to deeds. Resistance, hardness, judgmental, things like this. Believers will be judged in the same way. You're in, you're in. But you'll be judged according to your deeds. I'll show you that throughout the rest of the Bible, just so you know, because for some of you this might be new. (laughs) It's not taught enough, really. Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, good or bad. So you will appear before Christ's judgment seat. I just want to say that. As I'm preparing, I think, what is the one thing I want to say? I want to say this. You will appear before his judgment seat. You will. Okay? It's really important you get this. I'm not saying this to try and put an unhealthy fear in you. I just want you to be prepared. Because you won't be able to lean on... It's, you're gonna, you will take your stand before his judgment seat and you will receive what the phrase that Paul uses here. 
you will receive what is due for what you've done in the body, good or bad. It's a judgment. God will say, yeah, you were really faithful with what I entrusted you with. You put it to use. You stumbled in many ways, because everyone does. It was flawed and imperfect, yeah, but you, you put it to use. There'll be others who haven't, and there'll be, there'll, be, there'll be some kind of loss. I don't know what, but Lloyd-Jones puts, puts it like this. He says, you do not lose salvation, but you're ev- evidently going to lose something. There's loss. Another passage, 1 Corinthians 3, talks about how we build in this life with silver, gold, and precious stones, which means just giving ourselves to the Lord, or wood, hay, and straw, just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, I'll give that to the Lord, or, you know, well, tidbits, you know, dog end of my life, that kind of attitude and approach. The Bible says it's all going to be judged by fire. Okay? So the fire is going to come. If it's wood, hay, and straw, it's just going to be burnt, nothing to show, nothing to show for all that he poured into you by his spirit. If it's gold, silver, precious stones, the fire comes, and what fire does with those things is it just enhances, <gasps> look, this is what they are, it brings out the wonder, the glory of it all, and there'll be a sense of reward. And, and the, the phrase the Apostle Paul uses for, um, he says, uh, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So when Jesus says, judge not that you may not be judged, if you're living with a judgmental spirit, that's wood, hand straw. And the exact measure that you use in your life towards others, God will use that measure towards you. That's how it's going to work. He'll take the measure you use and he'll measure it to you. Not because he's wicked or cruel, but because that's what he said is going to happen. Okay? He's saying this is how this. We'll do Q&A at the end. <laughs> and then finally, there's judgment in this life for believers as well, which is a beautiful thing, actually. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so you've got the Corinthians there eating the bread and the wine, but they're doing it really badly. The rich guys are turning up for church earlier because they don't have to work long hours. They're eating the bread and the wine, they're getting drunk. The poor people in the church who work really long hours turn up, they can't even take bread and wine. Paul's saying, do you know what? This is, you're coming together is worse. It creates more problems than when you don't come together. And then uh, the Apostle Paul says this to them. He says, uh, verse 29 of uh, 1 Corinthians 11, Let a person examine himself uh, then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is believers. Um, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Okay? That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, took the plank out, if we judged ourselves, if we took the plank out, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, listen to this, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So even the judgment of God, which for some was premature death, others' illness, is God's mercy. It's God's mercy. It's God's discipline. He's, he's using it to make you mature as sons for the future age. So it's always good and it's always redemptive and yet it's very sober and stuff. And I just want you guys to be kind of... I just want you to know what the Bible teaches, really. Um, please don't be angry with me about this. I'm just unpacking the scriptures, all right? <laughs> um, and this is what... This is the, there's a call to maturity. There's a call to saying, okay, okay, right, it's not some sort of little sort of game then. I want you to understand, it's not cheap grace. It's grace, but it's, it's amazing grace. It's amazing grace. And we're entrusted with something that the Lord says, come on, I want you to live in the good of all that I have done for you. Now at this point, after reading this, no one in the church wants to correct anyone else, right? There's no way you want to start fiddling with Dave Mance's eye. Because you're, ah, I'm going to die or something, you know. Someone's going to, what do we do at this point? Because at this point we get worried. Well, listen, I want you to understand the, the, the progress of the passage. Jesus says, take the plank out. Why? Here's why then you'll see clearly to take the speck out. 
Jesus isn't saying, don't make assessments. If you see something sinful in the brother or sister's life, he's not, Jesus isn't saying ignore it. He doesn't say that ever. In fact, it's a sin to ignore it. Jesus says, first of all, make sure you have not got a whole load of that in your own life. Go and face yourself. Go and pray. Go and search your heart. Go and get with God. Say, Lord, you know what? I really genuinely want to help them. I love them. I think that this is really going to help them mature, but I'm just aware. I could, it could just be like a, I could just be tricking myself and actually, you know, I've got, just search my heart. Oh, God, ask others. Do you see this in my life? Just get that. Make sure there's no plank in there. Once you've done that, then you can say, do you know what? I love you and I've prayed about it. So I just think maybe the Lord wants to do something here and you speak the truth in love. That to not do that is an, it's abdication. To do that means we grow in maturity together. And then we get verse 6, which is like, okay, we're going to end on this. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. As they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, what are the pearls? It's got to be the gospel, the truth, the message. What are the dogs and the pigs? Definitely not unbelievers. Definitely not unbelievers. We are called to preach the gospel to unbelievers and believers alike. We constantly preach the gospel to each other and to those who don't know the Lord. But it seems like there is a certain classification of person who absolutely rejects, stubbornly, insistently rejects the gospel and rejects you as a bringer of the gospel. There comes a point where you say, okay, it's frightening, it's rare, but it happens. So when Jesus sent out the disciples on mission, said to them, if the town or the village doesn't, they won't receive you, what should you do? Go on at them again. Is that what he said? Go on at them again. Go. Hey. Shake the dust off your feet. It's, it's, it's your way of saying, okay, that's what you want, that's what you've got. We stop association. Have you ever tracked Jesus' relationship with Herod? It's very interesting. Someone brings a message to him from Herod. And uh, Jesus says, go and tell that fox that I do miracles and I heal the, heal the sick on the third day. Um, I'll get to my destination. I'll get to, get to Jerusalem. That word fox means vixen. It's a female word. It's a huge insult. You go and tell that female fox. When Jesus is dragged before Herod, and Herod quizzes him, what does Jesus say? Nothing. He's the only man to have ever been completely blanked by Jesus. He answers Pilate. He answers the high priests. He utterly refuses to engage with Herod. I think as far as Jesus is concerned, this guy fits into this category. It's frightening stuff. It's sober stuff. It's by no means the kind of thing you do without lots of maturity, discernment, counsel, perseverance, and all those things. But Jesus says there does come a point where you have to make an assessment about someone and you say, I'm just going to stop now. I've tried every angle to reach you for Christ. And you're not just, re- you're not just rejecting it, you're starting to turn on me and if it carries on, you're going to trample me. Okay, you, want, you don't want, you don't have. What a wonderful way to end a sermon, eh? <laughs> Expository preaching is great because you work through the text, but sometimes you're in these points and you think, oh golly, um, I wish I could sort of say something really happy and exciting now. Um, that's where it is. That's where, that's where it ends. It's a sober time. Um, and 
Sometimes we have Sundays like that, and it's really cool. But let's, let's, let's thresh it out for... We've got 10 minutes. We can do Q&A. <laughs> Go on, Ollie. Not too hard, eh? Be, good. be, be nice to me. How can you be judged for the good and for bad when, according to the first judgment, your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west? Jesus, please help me. Okay. I would say on two levels. The first level I would say is this, is that salvation is primarily a judicial thing in the sense that um, God deals with things in a legal way that he might adopt us as his children, even though we bring no merit into the relationship. We don't bring anything. And so in that sense, if God was to remember in a legal sense, one of our sins, there's no way we could be in, 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 in the new heavens and the new earth with him. So the thing is completely dealt with in terms of the courts of law. The, the lamb has died for the sins of the world. Okay, So there's that. Then, and then through that, we become his children. Okay? We become adopted. That's our position. We're reconciled. The spirit of adoption lives inside of us. At that point, he looks to bring us to maturity. Okay? So, for example, try and keep it illustrative and alive to you. There are lots of children in the world. Only three of them are mine. All the other children in the world, though I may have affection for them, they're not mine. They are outside of my family. There are three, other, there are three though, that are mine and in my family. If you like, they represent the Christians, if you like. I'm now committed to seeing these three come to maturity in a way I'm not to the others. It's a different dynamic going on. I've, they're my responsibility. We are God's responsibility as his children. So he looks to bring us to glory, to bring us to maturity. If as his children we live um, in rebellion or we live negligent or we refuse to grow and mature and all these kinds of things, then God as a father will speak to us about that and will discipline us for that. Does that make sense? Push further if I've not given you enough. Okay. Seb. How, how do you get to the conclusion that if you cannot judge motives and yet the only... Um, oh, you articulated it brilliantly. The way you find out motives is you ask the person. You say, you're doing this. I don't understand it. Can you help me understand why? So you get the person becomes a manager at work and they do something, you think, are you serious? But actually, you, you're just angry. You don't know why. So at that point, I would say, you say, can we, can we grab 10 minutes, have a meeting or have you say it in a respectful way and just say, you've made this decision. I totally want to get behind you. And but I don't get, can you help me understand why? So then they can tell you. So you're not having to jump to conclusions or guess or play God. You actually hear them out and then you can make a good assessment. Is that Okay. I think we can definitely say that, um, that some actions are clearly wrong. Absolutely, you need to nail it and say they are. So, um, I was going to use an example, but it would just open a can of worms. But you, so, you, yes, you need, to be able, you need to be able to say things are wrong. Absolutely. Jesus is talking about judging individuals, not necessarily... Situa you know, you've got to make a call on sin and say, no, this is wrong. Let me just read you a quote, because this is a very important quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen to this. If our Lord finished his teaching with those first five verses, it would undoubtedly have led to a false position. Men and women would be so careful to avoid the terrible danger of judging in that wrong sense, they would exercise no discrimination or judgment whatsoever. There would be no such thing as discipline in the church, and the whole of the Christian life would be chaotic. There would be no such thing as exposing heresy and pronouncing judgment with regard to it. We are called to discriminate, we are called to make assessments, we are called to say this is right, this is wrong. And the church 
often doesn't do that, but he's too afraid of looking judgmental, of appearing the wrong way. We need to do it. It's vital that we do. It's vital that we make a stand on things, on issues. There are issues that are right and they're wrong. It's not when it's right if you think it's right. No, it's right and it's wrong, according to Scripture. Absolutely. But when it comes to dealing with people, we're not in a position to make final judgments on people. Yeah? Separating issues from people, very important. Yes, sir. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's to have... To have people around you, everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, you must, I would say, have at least two friendships in your life, at least two, where you know that person will speak honestly to you. It's so important. Do not, whatever you do, develop a dynamic whereby you become somehow immune from or out of reach of correction and the truth in love. It's so important. I value it so much. I do a lot of talking travel around preaching here, there and everywhere. I tell you, if I'm going skewy, if I'm going cranky, I need to be told. I really do. And so do you. So it's so important that we do this. It's so important that we have those kinds of friendships in our life. And if you haven't got it, ask for it. Ask, say, please, can you be this to me? I see, I trust your, I trust your judgment. Yeah. Anyone else? Before we gather to break bread. Yes, sir. Great point. Those people that we stop preaching to, we mustn't stop praying for them. Brilliant. I think it's a brilliant point because what it does is it means you're not, you're not bringing a final judgment. You say, God, please change them. But you're recognizing this isn't helping anymore. Yeah? You're recognizing that. And so you're saying, okay. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for that. Jason. Okay. Let me just, I'm going to phrase it as Jesus phrased it. Among those who don't know the Lord... It will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for some than it will be for others. That's it. But it will be. And there will be degrees of reward in heaven. Maktuna. Great. Let's this be the last question because it should end on a good note. So, uh, in order to get a good second judgment, what does it mean uh, for good deeds? We need to get things straight. We're not saved by good works. Amen? We are saved for good works. Amen? We are. We're saved for good works. Um, God has prepared works in advance for us to do. The, Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he, create, which he prepared in advance for us to do. There are good works for you. Okay? So here's how I would describe it on two ways. Number one, look to imitate Christ in all you do, in how you relate to others, in having a servant, kind of a serving attitude. Just, you know... Love the church. That's being Christ-like. He loves the church. He loves his bride. You love the church. Okay? Love the lost. Just, just look to be Christ-like. Secondly, look to discern and discover how God has graced you best. What has he gifted you for? And out of that, look to exercise those gifts. So I would say a general Christ-likeness, serving, loving. And then secondly, saying, okay, how am I gifted and where can I be best placed to exercise those gifts? And, just, and then in all of those things, you just say, God, I'm going to humble myself under your mighty hand. And at the proper time, I trust that you're going to raise me up. So you're trusting God. It's about obedience. It's about, it's about um, hating the darkness and loving the light. It's about crucifying the flesh and being filled with the Spirit. It's the, it's the, it is the Christian, the dynamic, fruitful Christian walk. That's what it, it's not. It's, there's no secrets, if you like. That's, that's what it is. Do, do that. 
And God will say, hey, well done. And don't be afraid of making mistakes. I want to end on that. The parable of the talents. The guy who got one thing from the master and buried it. Why? Well, it's a bit harsh. And, you know, if I go, if I sort of uh, invest it and, and it doesn't work out, then what's going to happen? The other guy got five. The other one got ten. They just put it to work. And they get commended. They get entrusted with more. This guy had one. It gets taken off him. And they think, what, what does that tell us about God? God's saying, I've given you stuff. Go for it. And make mistakes. And I, I want to say that loud and clear because I think in the English scene, we're very cautious and we kind of get a bit nervous about making mistakes. I tell you, those in the church have made the biggest mistakes grow quickest. Absolutely, they grow quickest. So just, just go for it. Go for Jesus. Go for Jesus. Enjoy it. And know that whatever happens, nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can separate you from his love. Whatever happens, you, know, you might make the biggest boo-boo in the world. Hell has got nothing on you. You've, you're, you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. You know, it, it, God will never, never upbraid you for a good motive he'll never tell you off for a good motive even if the thing <laughs> totally totally flopped he sees the heart so just run with your heart and go for jesus and god will just be cheering you on and saying well done and be piling you with stuff that you can pile back at his feet it's really great it's really liberating it's really really cool so praise god he got us somewhere good <laughs> he got us somewhere good hallelujah